Welcome back to the Protest Coverage Podcast. I'm Amanda Faria. This week, we are introducing a new segment of the podcast called After the Hashtag. After the Hashtag is a segment created to provide a space to victims and families who have been impacted by social injustice issues, such as racism and police brutality, and whose stories are not given attention in mainstream media or is no longer a top news story. We often see after a hashtag stops trending, victim stories and their families are forgotten about. We somehow believe justice will be served and their stories fade from our timelines. For many families, once the hashtag stops trending, the fight for justice actually begins. This segment will provide a deeper look into their lives to show what happened after the hashtag stops trending. For this episode, I connect with a truly remarkable young activist, organizer, and mother from St. Paul, Minnesota, Tashira Garraway, with the Family Supporting Families organization. Tashira discusses what life has been like since losing her fiance, Justin Tigan, in 2009 at 23 years old after a routine traffic stop ended with tragedy. So I just wanted to connect with you because I've seen you on the front lines leading marches. I've seen you comforting families. You know, I had the, well, I had the pleasure of meeting you last March. Uh, so this past March. And I've seen you on the front lines. I've seen you comforting families that have been victims of police brutality. I know yourself has been a victim of police brutality. And I've seen you comforting other activists, leading marches. And I wanted to know if you could share with the listeners, you know, where you're from and what your back and your background. So my name is Tashira Garraway, and I am from um, well, I'm from Chicago, but I grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, I am the founder of an organization called Family Supporting Families Against Police Violence. So um, I work and provide resources for families that have lost their loved ones at the hands of law enforcement here in Minnesota. Um, I provide uh, support group meetings. Um, I provide a platform for families to be able to share their stories, but not only share their stories, but to get their stories out. The birthdays and the date of death are the hardest for the families. I know that because I've lived through it myself. Um, So I, I... do the entire events for the families where we get uh, like for the birthdays to uplift their loved one's name um, and the date of death to just, you know, put a spotlight on their story. I get, I get the media there. I do the marketing, get the foods, the, the, the food, the balloons um, for the families. Um, but mainly we are rooted in a support group. We do some legislation work. We are fighting for bills that are on the uh, that are being fought for right now in the Senate. Um, actually, this week, um, we partner with a lot of different organizations as well to feed the homeless, things like that. So even though we had something stolen from us, we still want to give back. Um, but what caused me to start this work with families supporting families against police violence is August 19, 2009, my fiance and also the father of my now, uh, he's now 15 year old son, Justin Tigan Jr. Um, my son's father was brutally beat to death 
by the St. Paul police here in the state of Minnesota and thrown inside of a trash dumpster. Um, and when that happened, uh, well, first of all, the police never told us originally that Justin was pulled over. They told us that he was in a car accident and missing from the scene of an accident. Our family found out later he was in fact pulled over. They then were not honest with us about where the incident did happen. At that point, it raised red flags for us. Why was there so much, seemed like they were hiding things from us or they didn't right off the bat. So we later ended up seeing a video which the police would not let us watch, but the forensic pathologist who did the autopsy on his body let us watch a video that shows the police catch Justin and then when it uh, it goes blank. So the police did get to the video and tamper with the video prior to us watching the video because the video came from the police and was sent over to the lady who did the autopsy. Um, so the video was edited, but we do see the police catch him. But when we also, when we walked into the mortuary, we could see that a clear beating took place. So he had dog bites all over his body. He had, his wrist was detached from his arms. His skull was cracked in half. His head was the size of a watermelon. All of these things. Um, and once we started seeking answer, that's, that's when the police started to harass our family, sit outside our homes, follow us. I've been followed numerous of times. The police have sat outside my home it's, it has been terrifying, scary. I never thought that this would even be my life. Um, they've sat outside of Justin's mother's home. They've followed her. They've done all these intimidation tactics to keep us quiet. But at this point, I am tired of living in fear. I'm tired of being afraid. I'm tired of hurting. I'm just tired of seeing other people, other families be destroyed at the hands of police here in the state of Minnesota. We must understand that there was hundreds of murders, hundreds, literally 470 murders in the last 20 years in the state of Minnesota. Michelle Gross, Communities United Against Police Brutality is my partner group. She collects the data. These are families that reported to her organization 470 in the last 20 years. And those are people that lost their loved one at the hands of law enforcement of black and indigenous people in the last 20 years in the state of Minnesota alone. So we have to understand that it's a problem here in Minnesota. The biggest high profile cases have come from Minnesota. Fernando Castile, Jamar Clark, George Floyd, now Dante Wright. So there's a clear indication it's a problem here in Minnesota. And yet they refuse to face that it's a problem. They, uh, the people, the legislators, the, the people in leadership, the governors, the mayors refuse to address the hurting families because for every high profile case, there's a hundred bodies that led up to the high profile case they, that everyone knows about. But just because families weren't a high profile case it doesn't mean that they don't deserve the same amount of support, the same amount of justice, the same amount of help, you know? Exactly. And so we need to 
call it out for what it is. These are racially motivated murders. The police departments are infiltrated with um, white supremacy and white privilege, you know? And um, it's only one officer that's ever been held accountable for killing a civilian. And that is uh, that before Chauvin, just like a week ago, before that, it was only one officer in history out of all of these murders. And that was a minority man that killed a white woman. And her family was treated completely different than how our families get treated. We get mm -hmm. treated like we're criminals when they murder our loved ones in cold blood. There's also something called the Crime Victims Justice Unit. It's a reparation board here in the state of Minnesota. If you lose a loved one by a regular civilian, they will help your loved one pay for funeral costs. If you lose a loved one um, violently, they will help pay for funeral costs, mental health costs. And if the person had children, they'll pay $400, $400 a month until the child is 18. But if your loved one is killed by police, it is assumed that your loved one did something to deserve whatever treatment they received. And as we can see with George Floyd, that's simply not the case. Exactly. So, um, but we don't qualify for those services because our loved ones aren't considered victims, even if they are victims. Um, and so we don't qualify. Was your family ever given any footage? Till this day, has any footage, has the full clip been released? to show what exactly happened? No. Has there been, given the, the increased awareness uh, around police brutality now, has there been any progress in getting Justin's case reopened? No. Um, and, you know, they were taking us around saying they didn't have any video footage. We found out they did, but they gave us the same edited stuff you can see from different screens some of the footage doesn't have any time on it but it's a surveillance other ones do, it's just it's a mess you can see that the videos are clearly edited um and it's just really a sad case and i pray that god just you know something in my heart is telling me one of the officers is going to come forward and tell the truth as strange and odd as that might sound the Lord is compelling my heart with the fact that one of them may just come forward and tell the truth because they know what they've done. All of them, from Jamar Clark to all of our families, these people know what they've done and they've hurt a lot of people. They've hurt a lot of people and some of them may not care, but there's some of them that do and they all have to reap what they have sown but they've caused a lot of pain. I work with a lot of families. I've watched mothers break down. It's a pain that I cannot describe to you, what they've caused upon our communities. And I wanna say too, it's not just the police. It's not just the police. These people have worked together strategically to cover up these murders, okay? It's been the BCA, the police departments, the forensic pathologists, and the county attorneys and legislators, they've all worked together to cover up these murders here, here in the state of Minnesota. It is the most inhumane thing I've ever seen in my life, but they worked together and they successfully did it for my son's father. And I've watched them do it for other families and other families have watched them do it as well. Can you share where you were in your life when Justin was murdered? in terms of 
you know, how older you were um, and how it's impacted your life since? Yes, um, I was 23 years old at the time when Justin was murdered. He was 24. He was uh, in college. Um, he would get pulled over like all the time as he was headed to school. Um, the night that they murdered him, he did run, but I believe he was afraid. Um, and black men have a reason to be afraid. They'll either shoot you and kill you there or you can run for your life and they'll still kill you. But he was beaten. They beat him to death. Justin's skull was cracked in half, dog bites. His wrist was detached from his arms. You can see where he had the handcuffs. And it was hard because he didn't even look like himself. He didn't look like the person I was getting ready, ready to marry. We uh, had just got engaged. We were engaged. I still have my engagement ring. I'm actually going to bring it out and show it to everybody at the event that I have. I'm going to dedicate my birthday to him because I had a birthday party or event for him to bring awareness to his story last three weeks ago. And then they killed Dante Wright on that day. I had to shut the event down to be there for Dante's Wright mom and family. But um, yeah, we, we were engaged to be married. Um, we were in the middle of buying a home at the time. We were waiting for him to finish his semester so we could go to Vegas and get married. Then we were gonna have a big wedding later. You were um, also parents to your three-year-old son at the time, right? Yes, we had my three-year-old son. My three-year-old son couldn't even recognize his father in the casket. How badly his eyeballs were punched in and everything. Um, it was literally a hate crime. It was a lynching, a 2009 lynching. I have a relationship with Emma Till's family and she's seen the pictures of my son's father. And she said that's all that she can think of was that that was a 2009 lynching. But um, it, it totally changed my life forever. Especially the harassment and the stalking that I received for the police just for doing what any normal human being would do. And that's fight for your loved one. Try to get answers, try to get the truth. I wasn't doing anything wrong to anybody. I wanted the truth. I just wanted the truth. That's all I wanted. That's all I wanted for the sake of my son. To be able to explain things to my son. You know, and I was, they would sit outside my house. They terrorized me. They terrorized my life. What was done to me should never be done to nobody. I went from living a normal life, like a regular 23-year-old with a, with a child, with a fiance, get ready to get married, to a complete nightmare, a complete nightmare. Can you share how your, you know, what your life has looked like in the absence of Justin in the last 12 years? Well, I am a single mother. It's not easy. It hurts. I hurt for my son. I know the truth. Then every time these murders happen, it's re-traumatizing. You know, every time I got to go be there for a family. And, and, you know, I have a relationship with Dante Wright's family, Fernando Castile's, Jamar Clark's. 
a lot of families, even the ones that you don't hear of, like Hardell Shero and Jeffrey Smith and Kobe Heisler, Travis Jordan, Cordell Handy, Marcus Golden, Demetrius Hill, and mine, of course, Justin Tigan, Paul Castaway. These are the murders, Isaac Aiden, Brian Quinones. These are the murders that you don't hear about. They're swept under the rug and no one talks about them and everybody just moves on. But that is time for that to stop because that's how they've been continuing the murders by nobody knowing about the previous ones. But yeah. I know that with all of these bodies, yeah. it's too late to just go forward. You have to address the pain that has been inflicted in the community. And that's what I try to express to the people in the political seats, that you have to address the pain that's been inflicted, you know? And sometimes I feel like they don't want to do that. They just want to move forward. But these families are out here suffering and they can't move forward. What are some things that you've told your son about his his role as a black man or right now a black teenager in in this world? I tell him the truth. I have to tell him the truth because I don't want this world to I don't want to teach him one thing and the world shows him something different. This is real what's going on. It's real. It's real lynchings. It's real murders. It's real. And it's 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 against our black men. How have our you chosen children. to huh? how have you chosen to protect them? By telling them the truth. Yeah. By I call his phone, I'm checking on him. It's hard for me to let, you know, when Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd, he lived eleven minutes away from my home, walking distance. You could literally walk to that man's house from my house. Imagine how they that felt for me and my son seeing a man all over the world that obviously needed to be out of the society. Had killed many people before. You know, this was a walking serial killer on the police force. There's hundreds well, of more Derek Chauvin's out there. And uh, it was hard, me knowing this man was down the street, they wouldn't even go get him out of the community until the outcry of the voices of the unheard, until the rioting happened. They wouldn't even go and get the man out of the community. He'd still be out here right now. You know, so imagine how that felt for us though, the fear, a mm -hmm. man that, Kill somebody in broad daylight with his knee while he screamed for his mother and urinated on himself. That was somebody that, that was traumatizing. Yeah. Very traumatizing. Very traumatizing. But that is just one example of hundreds. This what is you, what we got to live with. What do you miss most about Justin? I miss 
I miss our conversations. I just miss him. Uh, I wish I miss us going out places together. I miss him get picking up his son. Uh, we had a lot of fun together. We would go places all the time together. Valley Fair. Yeah. I I miss his laugh. We used to laugh a lot. We used to crack up. Um, I just miss his presence. I miss his, his presence. I had one dream that he was with me and my son and it felt so real. It was like, like nine months ago. It's the only real dream I had of him. And um, it was like he was there with me and my son. I just miss him being at home with me and my son for so long. It took me three years to realize he was gone. And I just wanted him to come home. Yeah. So I never really talk about him because I'm always talking about the murders and you know, like the statistics and stuff when I get interviewed. So it's different to actually just talk about him. Yeah. But he was a person. And I know without a doubt in my heart that the St. Paul police murdered my son's father. And he didn't deserve to die like that. I know he made mistakes. And if he did, they were supposed to handcuff him and take him in. They weren't supposed to kill him. They were not supposed to kill him. Yeah, not definitely not. Um, how have you... How do you keep Justin's legacy alive? I post pictures about him on Facebook. I post pictures about him on Instagram. Um, I do the events. I'm dedicating my birthday mm -hmm. to him. I'm not going to let his name die. That's what they wanted. They're not gonna get that. They're, they are not gonna get that. They wanted to throw him in the trash, which is what they did. And they wanted him just to be gone, like he never existed. And even if I put my life on the line, which I am, mm -hmm. We got to be truthful about what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with hatred. We're dealing with white supremacy. We're dealing with the Ku Klux Klan with badges on. Now, don't get me wrong. I do believe that there's some good officers. So I never want people to try to misconstrue my words. Exactly. Yeah. But we must understand and be honest and truthful about the fact that there's racism and racist, hateful 
behavior happening within these police departments against black, indigenous and minority people. And, um, but I just, I will not give them the gratification of just sweeping that under the rug. Even if legally there's no justice brought about, because I don't even know if there can even be real justice. The real justice is Justin coming home to me and my son. Yeah. But even if there's no legal action done or there's no monetary uh, justice, one thing that I know is justice will be served either way because they don't know the God that I know. If they knew the God that I knew, they wouldn't have did what they'd done in the first place. Justice going to be served either way. So I had to accept that. I had to tell God that. I had to tell God that I was going to be okay either way. But what I will not do is give them the gratification of burying him and making it seem like they never exist. So if I can't do nothing else, I'm going to tell his story. I'm going to tell the truth about what I know happened to him. Does the guilty verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial give you any hope? for there being legal action taken in Justin's case? It gives me mixed feelings. Okay. And the reason why is because I feel like in a way they kind of threw us a bone and said, here, be happy with this. We got hundreds of more Derek Chauvin's out there. Mm -hmm. If there's been over 470 murders in the last 20 years of black and indigenous people in the Twin City, in the, in Minnesota, in the last 20 years, we know typically there's usually between maybe one to five officers involved. But let's say if there's only one officer involved, let's take away all the rest, even though we know that it's usually between that range. But put one officer to each body. That's over 470 officers in the last 20 years that are just out there. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So therefore, there's hundreds of more Derek Chauvin's and getting one man off the street isn't going to change the system that created the environment for Derek Chauvin to exist. Derek Chauvin exists because this has been permitted. And if they wanted it to stop, they would make it stop. They don't want it to stop. So when you hear defund the police, what does that mean to you in terms of, um, or what does reform look like for you, police reform? Um, well, when we talk about defund, I think about taking money away from the police and putting it in other areas. And I agree with that. Mm -hmm. It's like you had a serial killer walking down the street with guns, would you give him some more money to go buy some more guns? No. So why would we do that for the police? Because they're the police. We've, we've identified who the problem is. So we have to just accept that for what it is. It's clear that it's a problem. The biggest high profile cases in history 
came from the state of Minnesota. So um, reform, that one is a harder one for me. I, I think that sometimes I think that it has to be dismantled and re put together. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I would have to learn more about what reform means. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you can reform something with, it's like a, they talk about, always talk about bad apples. How right. do you reform a bad apple? You need to go get a whole new bag of apples. And so it sounds like just dismantling what exists right now and rebuilding is what. Yeah. 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 And it's going to be, that's going to be a really hard task, but I think it's necessary because they've caused a lot of damage. They've let this stuff go on for way too long. They, the, the police have been worse than some of the criminals out here. They are the criminals. Yeah. Um, so how can listeners learn more about your organization and support you? Are there any Instagram handles you'd like for? Yeah. So we have a Facebook page, which is Families Supporting Families Against Police Violence. We also have a website, which is www.fsfapv.org. So it's the first letter of each word in Families Supporting Families Against Police Violence. Um, So www.fsfapv.org. Uh, you can go and donate or send messages if you want to volunteer, anything like that. Um, you also, if you send a message, I can send you an email that talks a lot about our organization and uh, my story, how I got started. Uh, but I just wanted to provide help that I didn't have and resources and be the support that I didn't have back in 2009 when Justin was killed. People weren't aware of these murders. They were more quiet and swept under the rug back at that time. There was no Black Lives Matter. There wasn't a movement. So I was a young girl with a baby fighting against a department. And I was very afraid because again, I was I was being targeted. I was being targeted. So, uh, but um, also we have an Instagram, which is at FSFAPV as well. So those are all the ways that we can be contacted. Okay. So Shira, I just want to say you are truly a remarkable and resilient woman. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. And, you know, I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for you sharing your story with all of us. Thank you so much, my sister. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you.